Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. How do you grow as a leader in the church? Should you read church growth books, take a few seminars, or just wing it? Scott Thomas, former president of Acts 29, church planter and pastor, has a different approach. He unpacks how leaning on Jesus empowers not just your teaching, but also grows the humility and biblical wisdom you need to lead. Through many years of ministry experience, Thomas has seen the importance of the soft skills of leadership, empathy, kindness, and listening, and how not developing these skills negatively impacts churches. Yet simply knowing the need for what the world calls emotional intelligence doesn't guarantee growth in these areas, but understanding and applying the gospel will bring transformation. Thomas gives practical, specific help in navigating spiritual and emotional challenges that leaders commonly encounter and unpacks how a gospel-shaped response brings healing. Complete with reflection questions at the end of each chapter to encourage self-inventory and further study, The Gospel-Shaped Leader, his new book, will encourage church leaders of all ages in the categories of self-awareness, self-management, relational awareness, and relational management with the goal of recognizing strengths and weaknesses so that they can continue growing more like Christ. And here on the podcast today to talk about his new book, The Gospel-Shaped Leader, Leaning on Jesus to Shepherd His People, is Scott Thomas, who is the executive pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and has previously served, as I mentioned, as president of Acts 29 and in executive leadership for City to City Network in North America. Scott, welcome, brother. How you doing? It's great to see you. It's good to see you. Nashville, Tennessee. How long have you been in Nashville? I've been there eight years. Okay. Uh Yeah. Nice. So with Emmanuel Church that entire time? I was, yeah, definitely with Emmanuel Church, but I was, wasn't was on staff with them. Okay. I um, served doing church planning on the road uh, Excellent. for a bit of that time until the last three or so years. Yeah. Uh, Emmanuel has a very near and dear place to my heart. Uh, of course, Ray was a, a great friend and mentor to me. It is a great friend and mentor to me, but was when I was in Nashville uh, as well, trying to figure out how do you do this gospel centered church thing? And, and, uh, I was praying for you know for the Lord to send to me and to our church plant, um, you know, uh, an Obi Wan, <laughs> you know, somebody. <laughs> and lo and behold, here comes Ray planting Emmanuel Church, and uh, it was a great gift. So I'm glad that you're there. Yeah, it's a wonderful place. So I have to ask you, um, you've written the Gospel Shaped Leader. Did we need another leadership book? Is was there a a gap in the literature? Why Gospel Shaped Leader? Well. Yeah, Sam Storms answered that question in the endorsement okay. uh, a bit. Yeah, he's, he said, "Do we really need another one?" And the, he says, "The answer is resoundedly yes." Okay, this one. Um, so it's a different approach. Of course, uh, we're not looking for how to be the best leader, get the most effective, uh, be effective with your time and such, and try to move people. But really, it's the inward life of the leader that we're talking about here. And I went down the approach of uh, emotional intelligence, which really is just biblical wisdom, Mm. but used it through that lens to let people see that just a little bit differently. I mean, as you know, Jared, pastors and leaders don't get fired for maybe uh, less effective lives and such. Instead, they're fired because they can't get along with people. 
you know, <laughs> they lose their church or they lose their role because they just can't get along with people. So that that comes down to those pieces that you said in the intro of self-awareness, self-management, relational awareness, relational management. Yeah. Why are these things, do you think, you know, emotional intelligence in particular, why are these things not emphasized more, especially in the church? You would think, you know, the church world ought to be different. Obviously, there's some overlap in terms of when you think about leadership skills and, and leadership capacities and things like that. You know, there's, there's you know, overlap with the business world and, and so on and so forth. But it, it's so often that leadership books from our world, from the church sphere, they just seem to just be aping what's in the business world. And these sort of, you know, um, aspects or, 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 or these characteristics that you're talking about really are neglected. Why is it that in the church of all places, we tend to downplay when it comes to leadership, these questions of, uh, you know, emotional intelligence, empathy, and so on and so forth? Yeah, it is a huge deficit. I was talking to Ray about it when I was talking. He said, I'm, I said, I'm writing a book. And he said, what's about? And I tell him, and he said, I've never had a class, mm. an article. I've never written, you know, or read anything or studied this at all. So it was a big, you know, a big change. My, one of my youth students that was is now in his 40s, I was a youth pastor for about 10 years. And he was doing his PhD on uh, interestingly enough, emotional intelligence education as it relates to job satisfaction. As you know, those PhD have to be pretty specific. <laughs> right, right. So I, he, he actually was uh, inspired by Gospel Coach. And so he started going down that rain. And then I helped him find these pastors that he could interview. That So he, he researched this. He interviewed a bunch of these pastors find out how much have they been exposed to emotional intelligence. And then he compared with that with their job satisfaction. So in helping him do this, of course, he got the PhD. I didn't get anything. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he came up with that, you know, having more emotional intelligence training in your life leads to job satisfaction because you're able then to carry out your work and lead successfully. Wow. Okay. But but why in the church world do you think we don't emphasize this more, would you say? I think it's just a lack of like awareness what this is. Uh, maybe mm. afraid of it, just pushing it. It's like, are we just going to ape the world, yeah. uh, what they're doing? Or is there a category for this? And so that's where I said, you know, it's not just emotional intelligence. It's biblical wisdom. Yeah. Um, that's what it comes down to is like being able to get along with people, uh, say you're sorry, have some self-discipline and such. Those are all Bible terms, but uh, we kind of just pushed them aside and said that and we, we don't have a category for this. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, you know, I wonder if it also just sort of ties into what we consider success generally. So, you know, what the church is, you know, ought to look like and what the church is meant to be because we are, we have over the last, you know, 30, 40 years maybe um, begun to measure the church by more worldly means. That means we don't mind if our leadership or we don't notice maybe even if our leadership or if we do, we don't care. Um, 
is like the world's leadership because the sort of metrics of success that we've adopted are kind of the world's metrics of success. So, of course, you would just need, you know, the world's kind of leaders to to do that. Um, you you start in the in your book with the concept of self awareness. Why why start you know start with self awareness? What's important about that? Well, it is the starting point for really leading yourself first and then leading others. Um, you know, it was it was out of that verse Acts twenty twenty eight. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Paul told the Ephesian elders, and then secondly, pay careful attention to all the flock in which Holy Spirit's made you overseer. Mm. So we, in order to lead others, we have to lead ourselves first. Uh, John Calvin said, in essence, in his commentary in that passage in Acts 20, um, if you can't lead, I'm paraphrasing, if you can't lead yourself, you're disqualified to lead others. Mm. So it has to start with, where am I in deficit? Where do I need to grow, et cetera? What does self-awareness look like, do you think? What? What can leaders do in their own, in their own ministries, in their own lives to become more self-aware, so to speak? Uh, getting feedback from people. We're afraid to get feedback from others, to, to be coached, to have others say, you know, how was that? What would you change? Um, those kinds of things that we're just in, too insecure yeah. to be able to ask, have other people speak to us. And so we say, oh, nice sermon, Pastor. You know, that was the most common comment I got out of there, really what I wanted <laughs> right. to hear. So I started asking people, well, you know, when we had multiple services, I said, okay, what would you change in the second service? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it gave them, opened the door. Mm. And interestingly enough, they began to tell me some things they might change even of the sermon or, you know, the service and such. So we're, we're just a little bit too insecure to be able to receive that input. And others are a little hesitant with that. And that's why in the book I talk about, you know, this, that grace filled candor that we've got to be able to be honest. The word candor just means honest with one another, but you don't just be honest for honesty's sake, but honest with gospel shaped or grace filled. Well, and inviting that as well, right? I mean, that, that you would have the sort of, you know, you know, disposition of grace to receive it, as you said, to receive that you know that sort of feedback gives permission for others to give grace you know you know to you know, have grace filled candor with with you but you have to be the kind of per- you have to be self aware enough to know am i the kind of person people can speak to or or not have i given permission you know for others to speak freely i guess exactly right yeah uh after a service not too long ago here was a 71 year old ray ortman he's now 72 but he was 71 at the time he he, after we got done doing a service, I, I did the call to worship. He did the pastoral prayer. And he said, he asked me, he said, what would you change? Mm. You know, we're getting ready for a second service. He said, what would you change? How, how'd that go? You know, so here's a, a guy <laughs> who's, you know, he's got his PhD. He's real, you know, he, he's loved and revered and respected. And yet he's pulling me in to say, hey, what would you change? Yeah. He's constantly learning, receiving that. Uh, obviously, he would have a little bit more security in his status than the first year guy going out. But (laughs) right. It's something we got to grow in is like just being aware of who we are and what our calling is and uh, what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You know, I spend a fair amount of uh, time on, on this subject in particular, self-awareness 
with um, with pastors I coach as well. And and one of the things I say is, you know, it's 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 worth asking from time to time yourself certainly, but maybe even to others, what is the impact of being in relationship with me? <laughs> you know, what's the you know what's the uh, what do I leave in my leadership wake? How does it impact others to be managed by me? You know, supervised by me, to be led by me, to be married to me, all those sorts of things. You know, these sorts of self-reflective questions, I think, you know, sometimes we just take for granted. If nobody's complaining or if everybody looks like, you know, that they're happy, they must be happy. Or if everybody looks like they are, you know, succeeding and, and, and they're being led by, well by me, of course, I'm just going to assume. But it's worth kind of reflecting and asking the questions. What is the residual impact of being in, in my sphere? Am I having a, an adverse effect? Do people feel tense, insecure, vulnerable when I'm around? Do they have to kind of prepare themselves for being near me? Um, I think these are, you know, the kinds of questions that, that, that sometimes um, self-unaware leaders, they just don't, they don't ask. Um, and, and so then they're not aware of, of actually um, the negative impact that they can have on, on, on those around them. That's exactly right. Yeah. And if they're not asking those questions and others aren't saying it, it's understanding that we are serving the Lord. He's we're calling him and we're serving him. Yeah. We're not serving these people that happen to be in front of us. Those are just whom the Holy Spirit's entrusted to us for that time. And so if they're happy, we're happy. We think we're successful. But really, it comes down to what is the Lord calling us to do? He may be calling us to move people, to make them uncomfortable. Um, to cause them in not in an uncomfortable as in you're just being a jerk, but uncomfortable from standpoint of like calling them to a higher degree of compassion and passion for the Lord. So it's it's having that opportunity to do that and that, that yeah. just being secure in who you are. So those first year, second year, third year pastors particularly need to be asking questions all the time because hardly anyone is going to tell you. In the church, right, we're, right. we're called, yeah, we're, we're told to be nice and that Christians are nice and such. And so who, who says anything, who corrects the youth pastor even, um, you don't normally do that. You figure, oh, somebody else has got that. <laughs> right. And you have to give permission, don't you? you? You have to let people know that it's okay because, because part of the insecurity is just that I could lose my job. I could be, you know, I can't. You know, uh, um, you know, criticism doesn't go up; it it, it only comes down. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, even constructive, it it only comes down; it doesn't go up. So you have to actually give your people permission to speak freely, to you know, to give you feedback and the and those sorts of things. Um, you've seen this um, go wrong. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about how your experience at Mars Hill, to the extent that you you know you're you know able or or, or willing to speak to it. Um, you, you, you were at Marshall church in Seattle for a fair amount of time serving in executive leadership there. What did you, you know, coming out of that experience, how has that impacted maybe your thoughts along these lines? Um, I know this isn't new, um, you know, new revelations for you, what you're talking about in, in gospel shape leader. It's not like a new conviction for you, but how did your experience there, um, if you don't mind impact your thinking in terms of this book and the need for this book? today. Yeah, it was it was my experience with both Marshall Church and I served uh of course as the Acts 29 president, but I was also the part of the executive eldership, which is a group of five 
guys oversaw the whole entire church. So really involved with that and uh, really uh, quite honored to be a part of that, that group. And then I went from there and served with the Journey Church in St. Louis, oh, right. where Darren Patrick was. And of course, that ended badly for both Darren, for the Journey Church. And for me in particular, I felt the, you know, the impact of that. So kind of an over two scenario is yeah. when I landed, <laughs> when I landed in Nashville at Emmanuel and Ray gets up and starts talking about how the church is there and they would receive you. And with grace, he said, out there in the world is where you're criticized, not accepted, but in here you're welcomed. And I thought, boy, is this guy delusional? (laughs) 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 He, uh, but he, you know, he was both prophetic and true. Mm. It was prophetic in that he was calling the local church by doing that. He was calling local church to become that, but it was also true. We were like, wow, this is different. And the eldership leadership was completely different than what I experienced at Mars Hill and at the journey, both. Um, and Mars Hill gave birth to many of those churches in Acts 29. Um, and you would say that the DNA of the father has still carries on to this day. And so we got to be careful. Um, I'm not saying that every church that's been a part of that during his tenure is guilty, but we, we have to be aware. We have, we're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. We have to be self-aware that this is a uh, you know propensity uh, for our network to become like. So I, I began to study and research. After that, after that experience with with Emmanuel, having experienced Mars Hill and the journey, what didn't work there, mm. and what worked at Emmanuel, and I started interviewing different pastors and church leaders, and researching this whole concept of what emotional intelligence was, and that's where we came up with the gospel shaped leader. So my experience at Mars Hill was this domineering uh, person. And quite frankly, it it was uh, he. There was just one person in that that was different than all the others. Hmm. It wasn't a pervasive all across the board. It wasn't all the pastors, all the elders, all the staff were the same. There was one person, and then there was everybody else. Interesting. And and so I think the reason it went on so long is because um, Mark was was the rogue player. He wasn't the leader of everyone else. Um, he was just doing his thing. And, um, so that was the, that was kind of the anomaly there. That's the one thing that people aren't talking about is, is really, it's like, this was just this one person doing the thing and you go like, uh, it's just Mark. It's okay. I mean, was the idea that the broader culture or everything else that was going on, you know, the, the the you know the blessings of of positive ministry there could somehow offset that that we can absorb whatever the impact of this rogue element is was is that kind of the thinking exactly exactly mm-hmm. you know because it was working um and it could have gone completely different but you know mark had a calling it felt like he was called to young men to speak to young men who were lost and uh, that was his focus and he, he spoke in a way that only young men could accept, and he acted in ways that young men act, and so they could relate to him instead of being the father, was the, 
the brother. Yeah. Sometimes the little brother. Yeah. How do you know? I mean, I know I'm sure you've done, you know, plenty of sort of postmortem kind of reflections on, on your experiences. And I have as well, kind of looking back in, you know, certain situations. And I think at what point do we need to go, okay, this is enough red flags. Something needs to be, you know, seriously done before, before it goes on any longer. Are there, you know, points along the way where you could, you can say, this is when, you know, we need to kind of, you know, wave the flag here and, 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 you know, call a timeout. Um, you know, obviously hindsight is 2020, of course, which is, you know, why we're asking the question so that our foresight would be better going forward. At what point do you know if you're in an environment like that or in a culture or a church like that, when do you begin to say, this isn't right? You know, when do you cross the line from, we can, we can absorb this or he's just having a bad week or, or, um, you know, it's a bad season or something like that. Yeah. When do you know when to, when to make that step? Yeah. Well, right. But I just think (laughs) along the way you make, you know, ground is given because we make excuses and, um, and I don't mean that pejoratively. I just mean we're advocating for people because we're church, you know, because we're Christians, we're trying to give grace. And there are people who will, they'll spin that up. If you just keep giving them, um, you know, leash, they'll keep taking it. I was a part of a church in Nashville, actually, where the elders had to fire their pastor for very similar reasons, short-temperedness, abusive staff. And that had, it had gone on for years and years and years. We, we, we ate up and, and, and spit out youth pastors. And a lot of us never really understood why. Um, we had teaching pastors who would come and go. Pete Wilson was on staff at our church as a teaching pastor. Um, and just all these things going on, it was such turnover underneath the lead guy. And we just thought, well, this is just, you know, part of being a part of an up and coming church in, in Nashville and what have you. Well, it, it turns out one day we show up and the elders are on stage saying we, we've, you know, fired the, you know, the pastor because of all these reasons. And you go to the, you know, the, the, um, elders town hall meeting things where they give out the info and it's almost 10 years of this pattern of behavior It's a long, long time. And they finally said enough. And I, you know, looking back, we wonder at what point could we have said enough earlier that might have even headed off the problem before it got too bad? Are there times where you know, like, this is it? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, my first day on staff, <laughs> the one of the co-founders of Mars Hill pulls me into his office and he says, so here's here's what you need to know about mark <laughs> and he began to list things that were you know bad characteristics but he said this here's the one thing the one saving grace is he apologizes and repents quickly mm. hmm so when that happens and that did happen and i would i had such a relationship with mark that i would be able to talk to him about those things and pull him in just one on one and say, hey, you want to think about this? Let's go this way. Um, you know, you know, could you could you rephrase this and walk this person? Anyway, and he would respond. It became a point when he no longer responded, not only to me, but to nobody. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Piper was sending him texts, he ignored those, he made fun of them. Uh, you know, he made fun of Tim Keller. He, you know, like, come on. Yeah. Um, who who's in your league? Nobody. Yeah. Mm. So that be that's what became the red flag 
It was like there was nobody. It was isolation. As you know, isolation is a terrible thing for a leader. And that's what it became, was just a super isolation and elitism, like um, I'm the one who's answering to myself. Gotcha. Um, I, you know, I don't want to camp out, out on this, um, but before I shift a little bit, I'm wondering if you listen to, uh, I'm sure you have, The Rise and Fall of Marcel. And I'm not sure if you, have you been interviewed on on the podcast? Yeah, I was interviewed okay. uh, two times by Mike, and then yeah. I I spoke, uh, yeah, I spoke up one one time, I think the session eight or something, but yeah, seven or eight. Yeah. Thoughts and generally on I, the podcast. Yeah. So my, the last thing I told, last thing I told Mark, uh, when I left was if Mars Hill continues in this trajectory and Mars Hill will implode, mm. uh, little did I know two years later it did. And, um, but, I, but what I saw happening is what was taking place. And so it didn't surprise me. Nothing surprised me. The timing, uh, what they did, they always had this plan that if a bus, they called the, you know, the bus hit Driscoll, what would take place? And so they did exactly what they said. This, in this case, you know, the, the bus was driven off by someone else. Yeah. Shut everything so, down. Yeah. Yeah. Shut everything down. So, you know, reflections on that would be, yeah, it's helpful. Um, certainly helpful for us to warning, but for us to just totally be against, okay, now we know what we're against, what we don't want is one thing, but then to say, okay, here's what it looks like. Yeah. And that's the reason I wrote the book was say, here's the antidote to what's taken place with the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Here's the kind of leader that you should be and that you should train others to be. Mm. In, in part four, uh, of the book, you talk about relating as a family, um, mm-hmm. the, the church itself, of course, a, a family, but even among leadership as, as a family. And I wonder if you could speak to those who would have, um, I don't know, they would, uh, sense a kind of resistance to that. Cause can it go wrong? You know, I've heard people say you shouldn't do ministry with, with friends, you know, with your best friends or anything like that. Um, and certainly if you're thinking of them as your family, how can you effectively manage, ha- have authority, um, you know, even if you have to, you know, if you have to fire somebody, if, if you're thinking in the, in the, you know, the paradigm or the framework of we're all a family, cause you wouldn't fire a family member, would you? <laughs> if it was for their good. Yes. Oh, okay. but you, would fire, you would fire them in a different way. Right. You know, yeah. like even the opening vignette that I put in that chapter was an interview with the young lady in one of those two churches I referred to earlier Mm. and what took place, um, was horrible. She felt stripped, abused. Mm. And so this single young lady, uh, was taken advantage of by the, by the church elders, by the very board that fired their pastor for bullying. Um, they inflict the same kind of pain upon her. Um, and so, Yes, she needed to leave on the basis of finances. Okay, but how you do that? You know, it was with dignity and with honor, and as a family member. You know, if you had a family business and it all went down because of the pandemic or whatever, they're like we got to let you off, we got to lay you off, we got to lay you off. But you would do it with honor, with dignity, with tears in your eyes. You wouldn't do it with. 
you know, get out of here. Let me have your computer. Here should take your keys away, escort you out to your car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's relating his family is from the idea of being a father, right? So you read it first Timothy and Titus both where it talks about the qualifications for an elder. And that qualification is that they are able to manage their own household. Well, now why is that important? The reason it's important is because that's how you manage the church. Mm. And so a father can have, he, I treat my boys, they're grown now. I treat them like family because they are. And we have this respect, this mutual respect. We have honor of one another and such. And we have a great relationship and they live close by here. And here you can, ha- so you can continue to have that kind of authority and exercise that authority. I like a father or a mother would to their children. That's what I'm speaking of. And speaking to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I, I think if there's too many verses in the Bible just to ignore that aspect of it, say, yeah, you've got to, you could take authority as a father. You must take authority as a father. Now, a father doesn't just go in and say, all right, kids, we're moving to Alaska. Um, <laughs> and the wife goes, uh, really? You know, and so he makes his own decision. It's that's to be completely stupid. It's right. stupid for a pastor to walk in the same thing and say, you know, we just bought a building downtown. We, you, you have to lead your family and you lead it with respect both ways. You respect them and therefore they respect you. Mm. They know you've done the homework and you have their best interest at heart. You, you know, you move from family to, to friendships in the book on the idea of friendship. So why is it important for, for pastors, for leaders, you know, church leaders to do friendship? What's been the, you know, the impact of what some call kind of the friendship crisis or the loneliness crisis that especially faces, um, you know, younger generation, although I've read an article in the last year about the loneliness epidemic in middle-aged men and the, the, the danger of that actually mental health and, and even physical health impacted by that. Um, why is the lone ranger leader not an okay, okay model? Why can't we just, you know, manage with that, the solo entrepreneur? Cause God didn't design us that way. Uh, <laughs> okay. we, we need, we need friendships, right? Um, the whole Trinity is a community. We're designed that way. He's sending us out two by two. He's sending out even the, the Great Commission is done. In, you know, go, not saying you go, but you all go mm. uh, to make disciples of all nations. So it's sent as a body to go together. Um, and And even if we're not in ministry together, that is, you can have friendships that are outside. I have perhaps even... You know, so so many friendships outside the church in my neighborhood, for instance, that I count as true friends that are valuable to me, that I spend time with. But, and I need that. I need that interaction from them. I need to sit down with them. I need to listen to them. I need to hear them. I need, I need them to care about me, and I need to care about them. Um, and and that's, that's valuable. You can find that in the church. You can find that outside the church. But a, a leader has to have some kind of friendships. You can't. You can't go 24-7, 365, working on the ministry. You've got to have some time where you're resting, relaxing, spending time with friends. And you're looking for the kind of friends that are going to 
build life into you. So much, you know, so much of ministry is building into other people, especially if you're a leader. You're pouring into people, you're mentoring others. Uh, you got to have somebody who you're, both of you are are just laughing the day and yeah. having fun together and energizing. You're much better person uh, by be able to do that. Yeah, you know, I've I've pastored where I didn't have close friends nearby, and I've pastored when I have. And one of the major differences I can see, kind of looking back, is when I didn't have the sort of stabilizing kind of decompressing, just be myself kind of friends nearby, the temptation to have pastoral ministry as my identity to kind of wrap up my sense of self and who I was in what I did was so much greater because I didn't have that kind of, um, I don't know, you know, pressure valve or whatever it is. I, I you know, I couldn't take the hat off and yeah. just be myself with, with people. So it's so stabilizing and you know, sanity, <laughs> you know, giving and, um, you know, to have friends, I think. Um, uh, where are the gospel-shaped leaders? We'll end with this question, which is kind of the question that you end your book with, the, the concluding sort of remarks. Um, where do you take that conclusion? Um, you're asking the question, where are the gospel-shaped leaders? Mm-hmm. So we've got to develop that, uh, both from a standpoint of the church. In the local church, there has to be such a culture that we are striving for this kind of character of a person. And then we're spending time in developing those people. Mm. Um, They're learning it, they're seeing it, they're observing it, and then they become it. I don't think that you become it, as you said in the opening intro, just by reading, taking a couple classes and things. You have to experience it. You have to be involved, engulfed, entrenched in a local church that is fostering this. And if you happen to be a leader who can set the tone, uh, particularly the primary leader of a church or something, you can set the tone for what it looks like. That's when you have an opportunity to raise up the next level. You're now entrusting them. You're showing them what it looks like, and you're giving them opportunities to do exactly that. Mm -hmm. And we don't we don't give enough opportunities for the young people to lead because, dang it, we can do it better. <laughs> and the right. truth is probably yes, but you need to develop them. How do we get developed uh, by messing up a few sermons and a few classes and yeah, by learning from our mistakes? Yeah. Do you think things are getting better? You, you you've been in ministry a long time. You've been in the church a long time. Um, from your perspective, do you think sort of the upcoming generation is at any kind of advantage? Do they seem to have a, a little firmer grasp of these things or at least a little more uh, openness to what it means to be a gospel-shaped leader? Do you, th- do you sense any kind of generational change or, or, or cultural change? I think they have the advantage. I'm thinking back of when I first started, which was uh, came over on the ark, I think, but we— <laughs> I wasn't trying to say you're old. (laughs) I'm just sort of bowing to your superior longevity, shall we say. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I'm going to use that somewhere. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, uh, You know, it wasn't internet. You you had to use everything with books and uh, you couldn't afford to get as much books and people, you know, so the access that people have now Mm. to information and systems and processes is good and bad. Because for 
sometimes you get that social media stuff. It's like, it's never been proven. Uh, when it yeah. hits a book, it's typically been proven by then. Mm. Um, somebody has validated it, and edited it and such. <laughs> right. And so it's going to be, it's going to be proven, but those are harder to do, you know? So I remember wrestling, trying to figure out what to do and you just, you just throw things on the wall and hope they stick. But now you can find out, you know, you've got this whole plethora of information that you can go with and find anything. Uh, yeah. And that can be bad in that there's some bad information out there as well. Right. Yeah. But, but I think they have an advantage in that this group is demanding. The younger people are demanding that there is different leadership. Mm. The number one question I get in our new members class is tell me about the accountability of the leadership. Wow. And I'm going like right on. Thank you for asking that question. Yeah. I can't even imagine that question being asked 20 years ago. I don't know that I heard that question. No, it was like the pastor you know, who answered to nobody <laughs> right. was in charge. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I'm accountable to God. Well, yeah, but right. Yeah. The, the, the CEO model. And I wonder if there's just so many even aspects of this, the resurgent interest in even just church polity and what the Bible says about membership and discipline and like all, all these sorts of things are, are sort of outgrowths of the kind of reaction, the response to, okay, we, what we've come out of, we want to make sure going forward, we have the right guardrails in, in place to make sure our churches are are safe places for everyone, not just for the leaders, yeah. but for, you know, the sheep as well. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It was an interesting thing that when Mars Hill broke up and people began to disperse to different places, of course, um, they went to, a lot of them went to Presbyterian churches, PCA churches, hmm. which had a presbytery, had a hierarchy, or Anglican churches. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And they didn't want to be a part of a church that had, you know, they were a authority in, in and of themselves. Oh, interesting. Brother, it's been wonderful talking um, to you. Uh, thank you for starting your morning with us. <laughs> the people listening don't know this, but you started your morning with us, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's always a joy to be with you, Jared. Yeah. We've been talking with Scott Thomas. The book is The Gospel-Shaped Leader, Leaning on Jesus to Shepherd His People. It's published by New Growth Press, and it's available now wherever the best books are sold. As always, dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.